0: This is our last sermon in the series of Staying Power. Next week we will be uh, starting a new series. So we're talking about incarnating Christ. Now the word incarnating means bringing Christ or making Christ flesh in our lives. So that what that basically means is that I so live like Jesus that people look at me and they see Jesus living in me. That's what incarnating Christ means. So my response to situations and circumstances that that come again on my life is going to be the response that Jesus would have so that when people watch my life, when Jesus watches my life, he sees me doing as Jesus would do. He sees me behaving as, as God would behave. I'm imitating God's love. I'm imitating the character of Christ. I'm imitating Jesus in my life. He's, he's coming out of me in every which way. So my response to people is the same as the response that Jesus would have. Um, And I know that the devil tries to get you to act differently to Jesus so that you act as you would normally act as yourself, not as Jesus. So if you ask yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? It may may be different to what you are particularly doing. And, And what we want you to be able to do and what we want to do this year is to so teach you in the Word of God so that Jesus becomes your first response, not your second thought so that when you are living in life and situations come against you, your first response is to do what Jesus wants you to do and to follow his command and to follow his example rather than to say, look, Jesus, I should have done what you wanted me to do, but, you know, um, I failed. So we want you to be able to incarnate Christ. So we want to focus on the incarnation of Christ's character in our lives, Christ incarnating into our lives, Christ actualization, we call it, or becoming more like Jesus. Um, our society wants you to become more like yourself. You know, They say self-actualization is the pinnacle of it all, reaching your greatest, uh, your greatest potential in yourself, as though you are the center of the whole universe. But for Christianity, it's not self that has to be the center of everything. It's Jesus that has to be the center of everything. It's becoming more like Jesus. So we, we want Jesus to, to, uh, to have his expression in our lives. We want to give him the expression that he wants. So we've been talking about staying power, which is that persistence. In our first sermons, we, we, we looked at the, uh, how to persevere and not give up. And we talked about dealing with the suffering that comes in our lives and, and, the, and the temptation that suffering produces in our lives that tries to lead us away. And uh, we looked at uh, Jeremiah and how, how when difficult times come, we instead of persisting in God, what we do is we, we we commit two great sins. We 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 desert God, and we try and get our thing ourselves. So we build, like we 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 leave God and say, well, you're not going to do it for me, so I'll do something for myself. And then we, we we're told um, in Jeremiah chapter two, verses. Uh, Twelve and thirteen says, "Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horrib- horribly afraid. Be very desolate," says the Lord, "for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water." And what he's saying there, they they desert God, they leave God because the hardship around them is is too hard. They, oh, you God, you're not doing it, so I'll do it myself. And then they then they try and 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 I remember once uh, talking to a lady and she just so determined that she wanted to get married she was so determined she wanted to get married and she wanted to marry a person who was not a christian and i said this is this is not what god would have you to do the bible really is clear about who you should marry and that that person should be a christian oh no i don't care what god would i want to get what i want i want to have a happy family so she did what she wanted to do, but still thought that she could have the happy family. You see, now the reality is that the the well that she dug herself that she thought was going to satisfy is now not satisfying her because it's not in God. And so now she's saying, well, what do I do now? What do I do now? This is That's the two great sins. God says, wait and persist and persevere, be steady, don't try and do it yourself, and you are to obey and wait and persevere because he will come through for you. When you decide to do it yourself, what you do will not satisfy that deep need in you. So we looked at perseverance. Now we we looked at to be patient and not restless, and it says, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient of Christ. All of these you can go to the sermon on the Nets and you can listen to them again if you've forgotten them. We found that patience really is that single mindfulness. You know, once you know exactly what God wants you to do, God's spoken into your spirit, you know it, you have that singleness of mind, and patience says, Well I'm not changing now. I've got it in my it's coming from if you get double minded, that's when you become restless. Restlessness is built upon the fact that you have lost your single focus. Once upon a time you had a single focus. Now you are looking at two things and you are restless and your patience is being affected by that. So we need to be more like patient, like Jesus was patient and have one thing in our mind and count the costs that Jesus wants. Noel preached on having courage and that the, the courage of loving God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind was the core of it all. It's not just being bold and vigilant and courageous in yourself. It's it's being bold to love like Jesus loves and to have that love and the motivation of God driving it. Great sermon. You can hear it on the net. It's courage, the staying power that God He didn't give us a spirit of timidity and fear, but he gave us a spirit of love and power and of sound mind, and that to be loving like God wants us to be loving in those situations. It takes courage to love like Jesus wants us to love. Amen? It really does. It really does take courage. And I spoke last week on to be dependable and not inconsistent. And We talked about... um, having the attribute of God in our lives, of faithfulness. how faithfulness is built upon the Word of God. You remember we, we looked at this um, illustration and, and, uh, of the circles, and at the core of, a, of everything for faithfulness or dependability has to be a revelation of God. You have to receive something from, get something from God. If you want to stay and keep on going, you've got to have, why am I doing this? It's because God told me to do this. And that revelation of God's intention and plan for your life has to be internalized. Why am I waiting for a son, Abraham might have said. Why don't I just forget about Sarah and do something? God told him that he was going to have a son through Sarah, so he had to persistently, patiently stay with Sarah and wait even though he was 100 years old. And that was the word of God that was in the core of him that flowed out into his understanding, and he submitted to the word of God, And he stayed faithful to it because that was what was inside of him. Sometimes we are not faithful because we don't have the word of God in us. You just don't. You say, well, I I ought, should, must do such and such. But you don't really know that that's what God's told you to do. Uh, Where do you get those convictions that will hold you through and, and carry you through those difficult times? Those convictions come through the word of God. And when you take the word of God and you put the word of God into your spirit and it's in you, that will carry you through. You put all your faith in the word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by God's word. So our outward life, the things that we do, come from our understanding, which comes from the word of God, which is placed within us. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. The entrance of thy word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. So today we're going to be looking at diligence, because diligence in the process of staying power is important what is diligence and diligence is working hard a diligent person is a hard worker and slothfulness everybody says slothfulness it comes from the sloth have you seen the sloth have you seen have you seen it? amazing creature hey would you like a pet a sloth that would never run away would it They don't move very fast. If you see them, they sort of everything's in slow motion with a sloth, and you think it's half asleep. They they act very, very. That's why they call them a sloth. They very look very lazy. They're not. That's just the way God created them. So we're going to talk about diligence, not slothfulness, or hard work versus laziness. So diligence is the persevering application, characterized by a steady, earnest, and energetic application an effort. You got that? It is the ability to work hard at something and keep on working hard at something until the thing is done. It's the focus of mind, the focus of heart that says, okay, the job needs to get done. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Now that till it's finished. And diligence is the one who does the job at the beginning, keeps on working all the way through and then then it's finished. Laziness is, oh, the boss is not here. Let's just have a right, have a break, and then when the boss comes back, then we'll work hard. That's laziness. You know, diligence is even though the boss is not here, I'm standing here and I have a conscience and I and I have to work before God. And, and diligence says, whatever I'll do, I'll do it. I'm working for God, and I'll diligently, diligently be consistent and hardworking in those things. So we want to talk about diligence today. And the Bible has a lot to say about diligence. So let's have a look at some of the verses. A lot of those verses you'll find in Proverbs. So we're going to just do a quick trip, about five verses from Proverbs and then one from Timothy, just to tell you. You can take these down, just you can read them as well. So the Bible has a lot. Lazy hands make for poverty. Okay. Everybody say, lazy hands make for poverty. Well, what does that mean? It means that if you're lazy and you don't do work, the next thing that comes is you're going to have poverty. I mean, work for the doll is a good idea if, because it says work and you get paid. Not working for the doll is a bad idea because it says you can be lazy, you can smoke drugs, you can take drink, you can, you can just hang around and not do anything and we'll pay you to do that. That's why they talk about those things. That's why they discuss whether a person should get money, a handout for, for not doing anything. That's why they do it because they say, are we actually producing laziness in people? Are we producing a negativity so that we have a society that believes that it should just come to them without them having to do anything? Are we producing lazy communities? That's why they talk about work for the dollar. They're not being nasty. They're thinking maybe this is not the best idea, and the Bible would say, "Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Working brings wealth." Proverbs chapter twelve, verse twenty-four says, "Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor." And basically, what that means is, if you're not going to be, if you're not going to work, somebody will make you work. You you get that at home, you know. Mum says, uh, "Make your bed." Now you can be diligent and make your bed. And she can come back and say, "Wow, that's good, the, the, the bed is made." Or she can come back later and says, "You haven't made your bed." And then she can pull out the big stick. You know what The biggest stick is, I'm not going to take you to the movies until you make your bed. There's a consequence now. you are forced to do something. you can't get this until you do that. That's forced labor. Diligence will do the job and you you didn't even get asked it. You made your bed. Wow. But laziness is forced to do it. So you have to ask yourself in life, you know, what do you want to do? You want to go through life being forced to do things? Or do you want to get up and do things before you're asked to do things and feel diligent? It's a, it's got a, there's a lot of wisdom in Proverbs. You reckon? If you took one proverb a day and memorized it and thought about the application of it and decided in one week to, to leave one proverb out, I think that you would be amazed at what, what life changes would take place in your life if you did that. One proverb, one idea like lazy hands, diligence rules. If you took that and you said, today, if you're a young person, today I'm going to manifest diligence, I am... I, I, ha- I will have failed if I have had to be asked to do anything. I look about me and I see the dishes need to be done, the clothes need to be hung on the line, mows- the lawns need to be mowed, the edges need to be cut. I can see the chores that I have to do. But I will have failed this week if I have been asked to do anything. I'm just going to get up and do it without being asked to. And all the parents said, Hallelujah, glory to God, hallelujah, revival has finally taken place. Oh. ho, oh, oh. ho. Seriously. But if you decided to do that and you did it for a whole week and you decided to take responsibility for your actions and to be diligent in everything that you did and you made that your life's call, you're a very employable person. You'd come work for me and I'd want you to stay because you wouldn't have to be told what to do. Your eyes would see it and you'd get up and start doing it. And I'd say, that person is a good employee. You know why? They're diligent. Makes a big difference. Makes a difference when it comes to who's going to lose their job and who's going to keep their job. If you are not a diligent person, if you have to be given a list of things to do and you're not busy and hard at work, you know, you generally get the flick when the diligent one gets to stay. So there's some wisdom in Proverbs. The Bible's got a lot to say about diligence. He said, A sluggard's appetite is never filled but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. And why are the desires of the diligent fully satisfied? Because their work produces something which satisfies them. There's a connection with your work and the satisfaction that you feel. And it's not just the money that you get so you can buy what you want. No, there's a connection with you working and the product of actually doing something and then sitting back. You know, When I finish mowing the lawns at home and I've cut the edges and mowed the lawns, and, and they look really smick. I, I can sit back in my chair, and I might be hot and sweaty, but i got this satisfaction thing happening here. And my wife comes out, and she looks over the Ah, lo- oh. oh, the place is so beautiful, man. I love the way you cut the edges, you know. I got the double satisfaction happening there now because she's happy and I'm happy in the ground. And Nathan walks around and says, it's nice walking on cut grass. It's really nice. So I got triple satisfaction, you know, and then the little girls like playing, it, and it's good. So I'm feeling really satisfied. Why? Because I'm diligent. It's a whole different thing than hearing, when are you going to cut the lawns? The lawns are so long. Why don't you go and get the lawnmower and cut the lawns? a completely different riddle, isn't it? What would you rather hear? What would you rather have? And the Bible tells you very clearly, it's up to you. You can have your desire fulfilled if you're diligent, or you can be a sluggard and your appetite is never filled. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And then Timothy, it says, Paul says to Timothy, he says in matters regarding God and the Word of God, and says, be diligent in these things and these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Because when you are diligent, your progress will be seen. Now, if I was to say to you, um, let's be diligent this week, it may not be a good thing to tell you, because you might go away and be diligent in the Xbox. You 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 are you have made a goal in your life to get to level whatever it is in the Xbox and you are going to diligently do that if it kills you. It probably will. You sit there and you play and you shoot and you kill and you, until you get up to that level where you where you finally won the thing and you've closed the thing down, if you can ever reach that level. Probably five years of your time wasted just playing that Xbox just to get to that level. You know, I, I want you to think you'll actually do... I read an article about the billions and billions and billions of dollars we as people spend on nothing. What, what do you mean? Billions? We, there, there are some people who pay millions of dollars for a blue hat that you can put on, a, on an individual in your virtual game because they're rare. And so people pay thousands of dollars for this, their, their character in a game that they're playing, to, ha- to wear a blue hat because they're rare and they'll pay thousands of dollars just to wear the blue hat in the game. What is it? Nothing. It's just a blue hat in the game and somebody paid thousands of dollars to have that blue hat. we pay we're thousands, if not millions of dollars on fantasy. 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 To play a game, which we do nothing else but just waste our time, well we're having a fantasy. At the end of the exercise, nothing has been achieved. Nothing has been done. You've done nothing. You just sat there and played a game. You've got to think that one through. Somebody else who's playing the game is wasting their day, and somebody else may be reading a book and learning something and taking notes. They're spending the same amount of time sitting in the same way. One has a profit at the end of it and the other one has nothing. Somebody may spend the same amount of time doing math equations, same amount of time doing spelling. Maybe if English is your second language, you may spend some time playing and reading English, and it has a profit. There's no profit in the other. You can be diligent in doing the thing that you need to be doing and have a profit at the end of it, or you can be diligent in doing the wrong thing and have no profit. There is... A wrong diligence. So it's not good. Not all diligence is good. Not all hard work is good. Diligence must be focused in the right areas of life for it to be a reflection of the character of Christ in our lives. Look at Saul's life. I, if you look in the Bible, Saul, Saul, the guy who was Paul, who, who changed his name to Paul, you know, the first occurrence of Saul is, is when. Stephen is being martyred. Okay, Stephen's preached this amazing sermon. It's got up everybody's nose. It's the first sermon that Stephen has preached. It got up everybody's nose. It's offended everybody. At the end of it, he's called them for what they are. And they've taken him out. They picked up big rocks and they smashed his brains out with the rocks. Okay? And that's when we first hear of Saul. Saul is standing there and he is giving in a consent to the, to the murder of this young man. He agrees to it. And he became if you like, an aggressive, diligent hater of Christians. He was diligent. He was zealous. He didn't leave any stone unturned. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, As Saul made havoc of the house of the church, entering into every house and, and, hailing, and hailing men and, and women, committed them to, to prison. What it's saying there is, is, he got so incensed about Christians, he went from house to house. Found out if you're a Christian or not. If you're a Christian, he took you out and put you in prison. That's Saul, who became Paul. He was passionate. There were, if you go through and you read, it says in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were women or men, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So he went to a high priest. He was diligent. He worked hard. He says, give me some letters so they have the authorization and the permission to go into people's houses and take mummies and daddies and put them into prison if they believe in Jesus. Diligent, hardworking. Everybody else says, why would you bother? Just let him be. No, no, I'm bothering, he says. I'm going to work hard at this. I'm going to bring this thing to an end. I'm going I'm to go in there and I'm going to take mums and dads. I'm going to rip them out of their houses and put them in. I'm going to slaughter them. I'm going to bring them. I'm going to make them blaspheme. I'm going to bring them to death. I'm going to have them killed. It was murderous. Acts chapter 22, verses 3 to 4. So I, am verily a, I am verily a man which am a... A Jew, he says, born in Tarsus, a city of Sicilia, Sicilia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamalia, who taught according to the perfect manner of the law of fathers, and was zealous towards God, as ye uh, this is the king James, as you all hear today. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into the prisons both men and women. And in verse 11 of 26 he says and i punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and be exceedingly mad against them i persecuted them even under strange cities so what he's saying there is he says he was so mad and angry and zealous and diligent that he was just producing absolutely havoc you just didn't this you'd hear him coming you would hide because this guy was working hard to bring you out he would say, Now blaspheme, speak against Christ, speak against Christ. And if you didn't, he would have you slaughtered. He said, slaughter. Slaughtering them. This is Paul. This is the great apostle Paul before he was a Christian. Diligent. Not all diligence is good. Just because you're working hard doesn't mean it's a good thing that you're working hard. You're working hard has to be focused. For, for diligence to be effective in our lives, it must be focused. You have to have a focused diligence. It can't just be diligence on anything. I, there's a man who lived across the road from us when I was a kid, and he was diligent with his lawn. You say, well, that's very nice. Yes, he mowed it, and then he would sit down, and he would pick with tweezers little bits out of it. And then when he had finished, he would take his lawnmower off and he would roll his lawnmower over onto a carpet and he would wash it, wash his lawnmower with water and a brush. He was diligent. For what? The dog would come down the road. Why would you be diligent if it's grass? What's the dog going to do to the... Oh, dear. Diligence. To be effective must be focused. So we want to look at diligent in love, which is agape, which is God's choice love, and the adoration that is accompanied with that. So this this adoration, this this word proskneo, is the word that is used for worship, the adoration, to bow and to worship, to bow and to kiss. That's a diligent... Diligence in worshiping God, diligence in loving God, and we want to look at diligence in service, diligence in worship. So the worship, this the second word for worship is the word "latrio," which is the word for service. This is the God on whom you serve. This is the God whom you worship. So it has to do with your labour. Diligence and labor, but it 's not labor labor it 's labor as in worship toward god the the, the, the services or, or, that you do for God, the things that you do for God, the latter that 's what we want to look at. so I want to draw you back to Jesus and I want to talk to you about the, what the devil does and how sometimes the devil gets you to work for all the wrong things so i 'm going to take you right back to Luke chapter four when the, the devil is coming to Jesus, and you remember this incident. And the devil taking him on to, up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So here we have this, this is the temptation of Jesus where he's taken up into a mountain and then the devil goes boom and in front of him he sees all the kingdoms in front of him. Jesus sees them all, all the different kingdoms of all the world. So he would have seen all the different nations and all the glory and the splendor of all of those different kingdoms. Remember Jesus came for the world. The devil showing him the world. He's showing him all, this, all the kingdom and all the splendors. And he says to him, this is what he says to him. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give you and the glory of them, for that is delivered to me and whomever I will give it. So he said, i got all this power. i got all this stuff happening here on earth. It's mine. It was given to me. And Jesus, I can give it to you. If you're diligent for me, if you work for me, if you do what I ask you to do, we hear of um, musicians selling their souls. We hear of pop singers selling their souls, having a little discussion with the devil. And uh, Katy Perry apparently did this little discussion. You know, she was a Christian girl, but. She was jealous with Amy Grant because she wasn't as big as Amy Grant. So she made a little challenge and had a little talk with the devil and said, if you can make me famous, I'll follow you. Now she's famous. All this I will give to you if you will be diligent for me, if you'll serve me, if you'll worship me. And Jesus turned to the devil, and this is what Jesus said to them. If therefore you will worship me, all shall be yours, said devil and jesus answered and said to him get behind me satan for it is written you shall worship and this is the word prolesk, proskneo, and the word serve latrio he says you shall worship the lord your god love your lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and him only shall you latrio him only shall you serve so if there's only thing is if this there's, if there's, if there's two things that we've got to recognize here is there's two, these two focuses of heart. You're not meant to love or worship or work for or be diligent in the things that are honouring or glorifying the devil. You are not meant to be serving, working hard serving the things that the devil wants you to serve. You're not meant to be doing that. Diligence in that area may give you the world. May give you lots of money, may give you success in the world sense. And you can walk around with sex and say, I've got success in my life. But you got success by serving the devil and by doing what the devil wants. Everything else is in chaos around you. Your whole family may have fallen apart because you spent your whole life working for the lie that says you're trying to provide for your family, but you're never at home with your family. You just work in the devil's game and you may get money and you may get wealth and you may get importance and you may get status and it may look good but you can gain the whole world and lose your own soul. You can be diligent in that but you're serving the devil. Jesus says you're meant to serve worship God. Bow and kiss and adore God. Love God with all your heart. This is not an affectional thing. This is, a, this is a choice thing. This is loving God with your heart, like a choice. I'm choosing to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. Irrespective of what I'm feeling, I'm going to choose to follow you, God. That's love, agape love. And I'm going to serve you, God. I'm going to work for you, God. You're going to be the center of my life. What you're doing is going to be the center of my life. I'm going to make sure what you want is what I'm doing. You see, we, we can spend our whole life serving our society because our society tells us, you need to get your home, you've got to get your house, got to get your car, got to get your job, got to get your career. And we spend our whole life being diligent, getting what society says we have to get. And you know what Jesus says? If you have clothes on your body and food in your belly, you have enough. It didn't say a house over your head. Our society has told you that and we can work our whole lives slavishly trying to get what society has told us to get and neglect and not be diligent in the things of God. The church of God can be in ruins as you're going out to make millions for yourself. We don't want your money. We don't, we don't collect your money in an offering or anything like that, but I'm saying your focus in terms of your diligence is what it's all about unless your focus is on God and your love for God and your love for, and service for God, you are wasting your time on nothing. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 18 tells us very carefully, do not love the world. The word is agape. Do not agape. Do not choose the world. And the reason why we choose the world is because the thing we were telling before, that deceptive thing that we get on the inside, that lure, you know, that gets into us, that hooks us, makes us feel like we, we want to go on a certain day. That, that temptation, sin births itself inside. it, So we conceived it now. And it, that lure, it comes and starts, we get lured, and then we start to love it. You, we want to feel it. You know, It's to it feels so good. You know, it's so nice. So I, I like being in this thing here with, you know, and it's wrong. It's wrong. And loving God says, you know, I don't care what I feel like. I'm not doing that. I'm not going. You can, you can make me feel this as much as you like, but I am not going there because it is wrong. I'm choosing God, not sin. I'm choosing my affection is for God and not for sin. And if I'm feeling affection for sin, well, I'm going to chuck it out. I'm going to put it to death because I'm, I'm serving Jesus, not sin. I'm not yielding to temptation, for yielding is sin. I'm not going to go there. I'm making a choice to love God and to obey his commands, irrespective of what I'm feeling. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love from the Father is not in them. Look, get that. You can be diligent and, oh, I got my house. Have you seen my car? Oh, look at that. Oh, I wish I had a car like that. Oh man, God! And you can and oh, listen, and it feels good when you're standing with your boys and your girls, and they're looking at you saying, "Man, that's very fine. You've got on there; it's very nice." And it feels good to have status, and it feels good for your pride. But the love of God is not there. It's the love of self. It's the love of everything else. It's not the love of God. And the diligence in our lives is to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And to love our neighbour. It's not about loving the devil and the things that the devil's going to give you. And we need to have a reality check. If we have to have staying power in life, we need to look at our hearts and look at our minds and say, what am I going to persist with? What am I going to persist with? What am I driving myself for? Friends, if it's not for God and the things of God, you are wasting your life, if not your eternity. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God... Lives forever. and Friends, I want to say something to you here now very clearly. You can be diligent in all the wrong things and think that you are doing it fine and wake up on the other side of eternity discovering that all your work has produced nothing. And that's the scariest thing. I mean, even in God's work, Many, he says, will come and say, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we done these great things in your name? They went about church work, doing church work. They thought that being diligent in church work was enough to score them enough points to get to heaven. And God's saying, no, 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 not even in church work. The diligence is to love me. Jesus says, love me, put me the center of your life, get me as the center of your life, be diligent in loving me, bowing before me, kissing me and hugging me and knowing me, be diligent in serving me. He says, if you're diligent in these things, then you'll have eternal life. You can be diligent in the work of God and miss out on, on everything. You can be diligent in doing church stuff. We packed the chairs up. We prophesied. And still miss out. See, diligence has to be focused, and the focus must be in God and in the worship of God and in the service of God. If your diligence is in anything else, it is wasted. Don't give your strength to the devil. Give your strength to God. So our diligence must be focused. Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter four verse twenty three says, "Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life." Now you need to do a little bit of a check on your heart. I mean, I know you have got people in your life that there's expectations. You might have a husband or you might have a wife who have certain expectations of you. Things have to be a certain way, and you try very hard. Some people try very hard to please their spouse. They jump through all the hoops to please their spouse. Sometimes you never please them. And other times they're pleasable. But that becomes the diligent motivation of our lives. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be. I'm just saying that it should be secondary to your diligence to God. Some people want to please their kids for some odd reason. they, They think their children should be happy all the time. And whatever they do, they're trying to make their kids happy all the time. They don't like the children being sad. And they... They're diligent in trying to get their children happy all the time. I don't know why. Why would you do that? It's just a mother thing sometimes. (coughs) So is that. (laughs) That's a daddy thing sometimes. You see, your diligence has to be focused for it to be worth something. Just being diligent, you have to look and you say, keep your heart. You have to look into your spirit and you say... What am I being diligent about, and is it the right thing? What am I being diligent about? Is this what God wants me to be diligent on? Because if you're do, doing and being diligent in something that is not what God wants you to be diligent in, you are not guarding your heart, because you'll be taken down a path, and you'll be slaughtered at the end of it. The end of the exercise, you'll work hard, and there'll be no profit from it. Diligent only comes... You know, profit only comes when you're diligent in the things of God. You're working and performing the things that, that God wants you to work and perform. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, we read, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Giving all diligence. Work hard at adding to your faith. Virtue and to your virtue knowledge. And it goes on. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he says, where, where, Wherefore... The rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. These have to do with God. Have has to do with getting what God wants you to get into your life, getting that character into your life that God wants you into your life. Be diligent about that. Getting your focus on what God has called you to do. In Philippians, he says, I, I, I strive to stretch forward to grab hold of that which Jesus grabbed hold of me for. I want to seize the thing that Jesus seized me for. He was diligent. Paul was diligent to get to the point of doing what God wanted them to do. So we have to be diligent in our love. We have to be diligent in our adoration of God. We have to be diligent in our worship and our service for God. That's core. If we want to reflect Jesus, that is what Jesus was doing. Jesus was not diligent in making furniture. When he made furniture, he did it well. I mean, if you looked at the the Passion... The movie, The Passion, he actually invented the chair and the table. <laughs> and they laughed at him. Who would sit on his? Don't, don't worry. and That was the only bit of humor that was in the movie, I think. He says, don't worry, he'll catch on. And then that was that. You know, it. Was, if you haven't seen The Passion, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. So it doesn't matter. But Jesus' main focus was to do the work of him who called him while it was day was to obey him in all respects. Whatever the father told him to do, that's what I will do. Was to love God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. So that when the father said, do this, I want you to do this. I want you to die this horrible death. I want you to to be taking on the sin of the whole world. He said, I don't really want to do that. Everything inside of me is actually repulsed by that. Three times, like David said last week, three times he goes back, and says, this is really what you want me to do? Three times, do it, do it, do it. Okay, 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 I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. That was his diligence. That was his, well, what's ours? It has to be the same as that if we want to show Jesus. Now, I like... I like the story of Joseph, and I'll just tell the story of Joseph, and we'll close on this, because the story of Joseph shows us this diligence. So it's a beautiful passage of Scripture. If you, if you have time to read it, it's the end of uh, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 37, and then chapter 38 in Genesis, it deals with Tamar and, and, uh, and a little little story there. And then it goes on to 39, and and, and it finishes at 50, and it talks about the whole story of Joseph. So I'm, let's just talk about Joseph. So 17 years old and he's daddy's favourite kid. Daddy loves him. We know he's diligent because he's gone out to the field and, he, and dad has already put him in a place where he's actually supervising others. He's got a special little coloured coat he wears. He's 17 years old. He's got this special coat and it's all fancy colours. It's brighter, gaudy. All the others are wearing dowdy colours and he's got this special one. I'm the special boy. They hate him. They hate him with a passion. They hate Joseph because he's daddy's favourite. Who loves daddy's favourite? Nobody, except for daddy. So he goes out there, he sees something wrong in the field, he goes back and tells dad about it. So, you know, he's diligent. Maybe in the wrong things, but he's diligent. And they hate him with a passion. Then God gives him a vision. He goes to sleep and God gives him a vision. And there in the vision he sees a a bundle of wheat standing up in the middle, which is him, and 11 other bundles of wheat bowing down before him. Now, I want want to give you this idea that God gives him a vision. We know it's a God-given vision because it came to pass. So God gives this man, who's the favourite, a vision about his importance in life. So he gets this inside of his spirit and he recognises God is speaking to me. And he unwisely communicates to his brothers, you're going to bow down and serve me one day. I had a dream and I'm standing in the dream in the middle and you are all bowed down to me and going, hoo," And they hate him more. God has spoken to him. So he's knowing that God is speaking to him. So this man has got something from God. This is not just arrogance and pride. He has got a revelation from God, but it's just that the people don't understand and, and come along and not excited about what he's seeing that God is showing him. So he goes to sleep again and God gives him a double vision. He gives him another vision. This time he sees the sun and the moon bow down before him and 11 stars bow down for him. And then he goes and tells his daddy, daddy, I had this dream, the sun and the moon bow down before me and 11 stars bow down. Well, these guys come from a place where they can interpret dreams. And then they're really, really cross and and Jacob is cross with Joseph. Why is Jacob cross with Joseph? Because the sun and the moon, mum and dad, bow down as long as with the stars bow down to him. So this guy now has not only made it, his brothers are going to serve him, but daddy and mummy, you're going to serve me as well. So he gets a rebuke from his father for that one. Notice we don't have any sense of, that's a good dream. Well, God is really speaking to him. Look, nurture that and hang on to that. Look after that. You know, God is really speaking to you. No, everybody who heard about it hates him because of it. So he has to be diligent now. How's ever? He knows that God has spoken to him. He has to love God. He has to hang on to what God has told him and he has to keep it in his heart. He's got to be di- well, well, what would you do? Oh, well, I'm going to just throw that away and hope that nobody remembers it and maybe get on with our lives and live, and try not to stir up the strife. Well, it's too late. They hate him with a passion. They conspire now to kick him out. They take him, they're going to kill him. That doesn't work real well. So the, one of his brothers, don't kill him. Don't get blood on your hands. Let's just sell him. So they take his fancy white, fancy colored coat and they kill a sheep and they pour the blood of the goat over the, or the sheep over the cloak, rip it a bit so it looks like he's been eaten by, by a wild animal. And they sell him into slavery to Midianites or the Ishmaelites that come along that way. So here we have Joseph walking along with a vision, with a dream. They're going to bow down and worship me one day. He's 17 years old. How many people are 17 here? He's got his license. He's got his license to drive and he's being driven. He goes to Egypt. He's got God speaking to him and inside saying, you're important. Everybody's going to bow down and worship you. And everything in his life says, this is rubbish. It is not happening. You are being sold into slavery. He's been rejected by his family. His father mourns that his son has been eaten by a wild animal, goes through the grieving process, and his brothers are quite happy they got rid of the the upstart. Joseph is diligent. Why does God give Joseph the dream? Because Joseph is diligent towards God. There's something about this young man that will not quit. So he gets sold into Potiphar's house. And when he's in Potiphar, it's an adverse situation. It's not what he wants to be. It's not where he wants to be. It's not what God has told him. It's not the fulfillment of the promise, but he knows it's on the way to the promise. He knows that his life is important before God. He knows he's on the way, but this is not the place. This is not the end of it. He's at Potiphar's house. He's a slave and a servant in Potiphar's house. And he Begins to be diligent in his walk with God. God, I'm serving you. God, you brought me here. This is your plan. I'm, I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. I'm serving you now. He's diligent. And then what am I? Where am I? I've got to work here. I'm going to do it with all my might. I'm going to live my life and do as best I can and, and be a light that shines the glory of God here. So in this Egyptian's house, he begins to work hard. And the Egyptian... Ruler looks at him and says, this man is working hard. This man is diligent. I don't even have to think about anything. I can go and play golf. While this man does, he has everything in control. He is working diligently. I like this man. This man, I give him my whole estate and he's looking after my whole estate. He is doing that well. So he's off playing golf or whatever he's doing, and his missus, his wife is at home with Joseph, who's a very handsome young man. He is now 17, 18 years old, strapping youth with biceps. Look at those guns. Woohoo! He's got the physique, he's got the body, he's got the looks. And she's an old lady and she's sitting there and she says, Woo! Oh, you make me so hot. And so she's waiting. She says, come, come, sleep with me. Sleep with me, God. She thinks that she can get this thing. We got Joseph who is diligent towards God. God, I love you. I won't do anything that will offend you. God, I love my fellow man. I'm not going to do anything that's going to offend my fellow man. He loves the Lord with God with all his heart. He's not going to bend over and do this foul and wicked thing. He loves his boss because his boss has given him everything and he's loyal to his boss. He loves him. He chooses not to. She tries, left, right, and centre. She tries. One day he's gone and he's gone and do the washing or something, whatever he does inside, and all the other servants have taken off. They've probably been sent away and she's in there with him, just the two of us. She's put the music on low. The violins are playing. Probably got the coffee pot sitting in the corner The the aroma is in the air or whatever Just squirts the musk on (coughs) She's hanging around And he's doing the ironing Whatever he's doing And she comes to him and says No one's here Today's the day (gasps) And he says No How can I do this wicked thing And she grabs his coat and he goes, nah, and he pulls his coat off and he bolts. He is not drawn into this thing. He is diligent for God. He is a man of vision. He has a vision to fulfill. And he's not going to be caught by this thing. And you know what? She takes their coat. He has troubles with coats, doesn't he? He gets trouble with a colourful coat. This time, the coat he left behind when he was running away from the woman. This coat, she says, this is the coat of the man who tried to rape me. This is your servant. This is the one that you put in charge of all of your goods. And he came in here and I grabbed his coat of him because he tried to rape me. And Potiphar believed her. And he was taken away. thrown into prison but he was a man of vision a diligent man who loved God with all his heart a diligent man who worked hard wherever he was placed who looked forward to the opportunity of adverse situations to show that he was greater and God was greater in those adverse situations and he could do something with his life when you hit the hard times, when you hit the difficult times, when you're facing the, a hill and a mountain, what do you do? You say, oh, I quit. I quit because it's too tough. It's too hard for me. God's given up on me. It's not what God said. It's not what he promised. Prison was not the promise. It wasn't the vision. It wasn't what he saw. He saw his brothers bowing down, his mother and father bowing down. He didn't see himself in prison. But he was a diligent man and he got to work. Where he was. And he loved God where he was. He didn't get bitter at God. You don't hear it coming out of him. Oh, why have you done this to me, God? You don't see that in Joseph's life. You see him loving God in his adverse situation. And he got to work. (laughs) And the chief guy in the prison says, I like this man. I don't even have to think I can go off and play golf. And Joseph will look after everything for me. And so he rose in the prison to become the chief of everything in the prison. Why? Because he was diligent. He was diligent with God and diligent in his service for God. And it wasn't the situation that he found himself in that determined what he would do. It was his attitude towards God that determined how he would respond in that situation. He was diligent So his time came And Pharaoh had a butler And Pharaoh had a, a, a baker And they had done something Or something had been done And Pharaoh was feeling a little bit mm, I'm not happy with these guys Put them in jail We'll find out what's the bottom Somebody had tried to kill them Or something And so Pharaoh said Take them away Take them away And they're thrown into prison And they're thrown into the care of Joseph Then they had a dream. Each of these guys had a dream. And they woke up in the morning and they said, we are very unhappy because we don't understand what our dream is. Well, what? I've had dreams, says Joseph. My whole family are dream interpreters. Like I can tell you a dream and they know exactly what it means. I mean, I felt the pain of being able to interpret dreams correctly. Tell us the dream. So he tells, they tell him the dream and he says to one, the butler, he says, you're going to be, in three days' time, you're going to be serving wine to the king again. The baker tells the story, in three days' time, the king's going to chop your head off and you're going to feed it to the birds. And just as Joseph had said, the dreams were fulfilled. And how could he interpret those dreams? Well, Joseph, I don't interpret dreams. God interprets dreams. Why could he say that? Because he was diligent in his situation to love God and have God in the right place. So when the opportunity for interpretation of dreams came place, t- took place, he was in the right place with God to interpret the dream that God was going to show him with. You see what happens? You get a bad attitude. You could actually put yourself somewhere else where you shouldn't be. You can be on the way to where God wants you to be, but because you get a bad attitude, you're not in the right place at the right time with the right mind to interpret the thing as it's coming to you. Attitude and diligence are so important. Keeping right with God, keeping sweet with God is so important in seeing things the way that God wants you to see them that will take you to the next place. So I interpret the dreams. He says to the butler, remember me when you get there. Remember me. I'm the one who's in jail and I shouldn't be. I'm the one who's had all this injustice laid upon me. Tell the Pharaoh to help me out. Will you please remember me? The butler goes up, gives the king some wine. He's in a happy place, and he forgets Joseph. Two years later. How long has Joseph been in this horrible place? Joseph came at 17 years old, was dragged into captivity at 17. He has now reached the ripe old age of 30. This is 13 years Of adverse situations in which he has to be diligent. Thirteen years of focusing. Thirteen years of loving God when everything looks like God is against you. Thirteen years of loving God and putting God first when everything else would say that God has forgotten you. That you're lost in a prison somewhere in the dark regions of Egypt. Thirteen years of of disappointment. Thirteen years of waiting Before an opportunity comes And this whole time Joseph is focused Pharaoh has dreams (laughs) He has two horrible dreams Fat cows and thin cows Thin cows eat fat calves Fat wheat and thin wheat And thin wheat eating fat wheat This is puzzling Call my wise men to me Sit them all down here are the dreams, wise men from Egypt. What does it mean? We can't tell. We don't know. We can't interpret dreams. And the butler just happened to walk by. Interpret dreams? <gasps> I remember this bloke when I was in, you know, I remember you uh, went. We told him our story and our dream. And the next day he told us exactly what it meant. And he said, and within three days it it happened. This guy interprets dreams. Go and get him for me straight away. Oh, they said, "Oh, oh, Pharaoh's calling for you. Now, I like what happens next. The text tells us that he went and he shaved himself. First impressions, very important. What does that tell you? He's diligent in his appearance. Oh, he could, he could have played the victim. He could have come in his rags and his long beard and looked like the seer, the prophet. But no, Joseph. He's diligent. He maintains his personal hygiene. He maintains his sense of dignity through all of that 13 years. He it comes to that point. He's now going to be called. Before the, he says, you know what? I'm not going to play the victim here. I'm going to stand up like a man. So he goes and has a shave. He cleans himself and he dresses himself in new clothes. He comes out ready to be ambassador. He comes out of the prison ready to take the next step he did not come from prison with the marks of failure and poverty on him he came out of prison clean shaven and well dressed just think that that's diligence there's no reason why he had to do that he did that before he went to the pharaoh so he comes before the pharaoh and the pharaoh lays it all out before him he says this is what the, this is what the dream is this is what i see and 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 you you can interpret dreams. And what does he say? He says, "No, no, 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 no. Let me get this straight. At the very beginning, I do not interpret dreams. Why? I worship God. Diligent in his honoring of God. God is the one who will interpret the dream. It is him I serve. Diligence in worship and diligence in service. 13 years of abandonment comes back with a diligent heart. He's diligent. How can you be diligent at the end? You have to be diligent from the beginning all the way through to be diligent at the end. You cannot be diligent at the end and put it on like a, like I'll be diligent now. No, no, no. If you weren't diligent in the middle, you won't be diligent at the end. You've got to be diligent in small things to be diligent in big things. You've got to be diligent all the way through in God. You've got to worship God all the way through to have it when it comes to the time at the end. Are you listening to me? Are you hearing me? Make application in your life now. Where are you in your life? You're not where you want to be, not where God has told you you're going to be. You're somewhere in the middle. Are you still diligent with God or are you giving up hope? Are you staying there? Well, you know the story. He interprets the dreams. God interprets the dreams for Joseph. And Pharaoh says, we need a man who can take This situation, this grave situation, and administer the kingdom so that the lean years will not destroy us after the fat years have come. We need. Are you doing anything? Would you like this job, Joseph? Why, of course. Why? Whether I'm at Potiphar's house, I will be diligent. Whether I'm in the prison, I'll be diligent. Now I'm in the king's palace, I'll be diligent. We don't have a change in this man's attitude. He is consistent all the way through. He has staying power. Now in the king's palace, he is diligent. And he does it well. They build vats and they fill them with grain for the seven years and then the seven lean years come. Famine strikes the land and there is nowhere in the world where there is wheat except for in Egypt and it's under the control of Joseph. Then come his brothers, his father and his mother to bow at his feet, to eat, to stay alive. And what does he say when he's found out to be their brother? You meant this for evil, but God designed this for good to save you. He was not sitting there saying, now I'll rub it in your face and tell you what I think. They were fearful of him because they thought he was going to punish them. A man who's diligent in God. He's a man who's focused. And he shares with him the grace of God. And as such, he becomes the type of Christ. Out of all the Old Testament pictures, there's no one who fills the image of Jesus like Joseph fills. He is like the best picture of Christ. He incarnates Christ for us in his life. I want you to think about that now. And I want you to think about it in your life now. You, know, what did God, you don't even have a vision. Without a vision, people perish. You, I mean, you, you, God has not even given you a vision. Maybe there's a problem with your diligence with God. Because if you earnestly desire spiritual things, he will give you some. So if you're not earnestly desiring spiritual, if you don't earnestly desire prophecy, if you don't earnestly desire these things, if you don't diligently look for them, you will not find them. So if you don't have a vision, there's a problem with your diligence straight away. Right at the very beginning. Say, well, I don't have a vision. Well, stop now. That's that's really your your problem. Your problem is if you want something from God, seek it and you will find it. Didn't he say, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking? Surely if you ask for a fish, he would not give you a stone. Have you asked for anything yet and you don't have? You didn't ask in his name. If you have no vision, it's not his problem. The, The point is you have not... Come to him with a heart that's full and diligent and saying, Jesus, you're the center. I want my whole life to count for you, Jesus. I want to love you with all my life and I want to serve you with all my life. What do you want me to do? What is it you want? What are you calling me for? I'm not going to work here. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to get my education to do this. This is not about me, Jesus. It's about you. I put you in the center. I'm diligent. You are in the center. What would you have me do? And then he may birth within you a vision. He may speak within you. From there you can grow. Maybe God's spoken to you. You've got that in your heart already. Got, you, know, you don't talk to I've got this one, Mark. I've got this one. I just believe God's got something for me. But you might be in prison or you might be servant to something else. Be diligent. Be diligent. Stay there. It's, you're in the process. You're in the process. It's coming. It's coming. It's Not here yet, but it's coming. Friends, diligence is core for staying power loving God with all your heart, serving Him, worshipping Him, and laying your life down before Him and saying, it's all for you, Jesus, all for you. It's core to staying power in Jesus. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? Father, your word says, without faith it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Father, you've you've called us to focus on this word diligence today, to focus on worshipping you with all of our heart. Lord, you by your Holy Spirit are able to touch each one of us and to prick our consciences and to tell us where we are. Because you are light, Lord, you shine your light into the dark places. Make manifest that which is hidden, Father, that which is not of you. And Father, I pray for this congregation, Lord, that there would be this willingness to press into you, Father, with diligent desire, Father, to have you speak to them so that they have something from you to do, Lord Jesus. They become your vessels, Father, members of your family, Father, Reflecting your glory to a lost and depraved generation. Father, I pray for them now in Jesus' name. I want you to respond to the Lord this morning. I just want you to say, Lord, this is, look, I just need to work on my diligence. I know that I've been letting this thing down, you know. I'm wasting time. I'm doing stuff that is not focused, it's definitely not focused on God. Um, and I need to do a bit of a check, a recheck. I need to recab- re- rethink this whole thing through. And and this is spoken to you. This message is spoken. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to put it up and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm in for a service now. I want you to refocus my life. I'm in for a service. I want you to refocus my life. I've been working for all the wrong people and for all the wrong things, for all the wrong reasons for too long now. I want to, I want to refocus. Lord Jesus, you see the hands that are raised here right now. And the hearts that cry out to you, Lord, they want to be refocused. So, Holy Spirit, we commit them to you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do that. Holy Spirit, I pray for them right now that you will not let them sleep this evening, Father, without starting to deal with the issues that they need to deal with, Father. By your Holy Spirit, help them. Help us to help them, Lord Jesus. Lord, strengthen them so that they will do your will. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, God bless you.